Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Commonwealth Club and our community discussion called We Will Not Be Erased, What Is Next? I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and I'm also the co-host of the Michelle Miao Show here at the club on Thursday at noon, so I hope you can come out and join us for some of those. I want to thank our partners in this program tonight, the Michelle Miao Show, the Office of Transgender Initiatives here in San Francisco, Compton's Transgender Cultural District, and the Transgender Law Center. And thanks to IDK Events for the wine. If this is your first time at the club, we've got question cards spread throughout the room. As they're talking and you think of questions, write them down. I'll kind of walk around every so often and collect them. Later on, we'll open up and we'll try to get as many of these questions asked as we can. Uh, we are live streaming this program, and we're also going to podcast it. So please turn off any cell phones, pagers, ex-husbands, any other noise-making devices. <laughs> just so uh, we don't have that interfering with the program. Now I am pleased to hand off to my friend and colleague, Michelle Miao and her panel. Michelle? Thank you, John, and thank you to the Commonwealth Club, and thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it feels good to be with community, especially tonight, the eve before election day, and uh, I just got a little bit of the the jitterbugs, you know, about it all, but it feels good to see some familiar faces and to be having a discussion about something that is incredibly important. I'm going to introduce everyone by name, but the first question is, is a little bit of a soft introduction before we begin the program. I'm Michelle Miao, uh, the host of the Michelle Miao Show. It's your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Our panelists tonight are amazing, courageous leaders, uh, iconic, and do great, amazing things in our community. First, we have Honey Mahogany, who's the executive director of Compton's Transgender Cultural District. We also have Chris Hayashi, who's the executive director of the Transgender Law Center. And we have Claire Farley, who's the executive director of the uh, Department or Office of Transgender Initiatives for San Francisco. And so we'll begin with Honey. If you could share with us uh, some of your accomplishments, highlights of your contribution to our community, just to give us a little context of your work. Sure. Well, first, um, I grew up here in San Francisco, so I feel very rooted here just in a, as a place. Um, I studied social work and got my MSW at UC Berkeley, um, and from then uh, basically worked uh, for five years at the Contra Costa County Rainbow Community Center, which was the LGBT center for that area. Um, and more recently, um, I helped establish the Compton's Transgender Cultural District along with um, TGIJP, St. James Infirmary, um, the Q Foundation, and many um, really amazing individuals from the Tenderloin and um, greater San Francisco area. Um, I'm also one of the owners of the STUD, um, part of the STUD Collective. Uh, another thing that I do is that I am currently the co-president of the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club. And I am also, um, I guess, a sitting member of the San Francisco County, San Francisco County Central Committee. Um, gosh, San Francisco Democratic County Central Committee. It's a long name. <laughs> um, but it basically means that I'm a representative for the San Francisco Democratic Party. And also, um, a lot of people know me from RuPaul's Drag Race, which is a little show that I did um, five, six years ago now. Hmm. Seems like a lifetime ago. Chris. Um, yeah, it's really good to be here with folks tonight. Uh, my name is Chris Hayashi. I'm the executive director of the Transgender Law Center. 
We are the largest national trans-led organization in the country. Uh, we're headquartered here in Oakland, California, but we also have two other offices, one in New York City and the other, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, in partnership with Southerners on New Ground, which is uh, over 20 years old uh, Southern regional LGBT organization. Um, we started here in the Bay Area as a California-focused organization, and then we, over the last uh, five to 10 years, have expanded to be national. So we move a range of community-driven strategies that are rooted in our commitment to litigation and our legal work, as well as our commitment to racial justice, to basically keep trans and gender nonconforming people alive, thriving, and fighting for our liberation. So I've been at the Transgender Law Center for about five years, and before that I was co-director for about 10 years at the Audre Lorde Project out of New York City, which is a LGBT people of color organizing center. Um, and then before that I was actually doing some youth of color-led organizing here in the Bay Area uh, back in the time of like Prop 187, Prop 21, um, and all of that. So super happy to be here with folks tonight. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Claire Farley. I'm the director of the Office of Trans Initiatives. Um, and I was laughing backstage because I feel like I should be doing more of a musical uh, <laughs> number with this mic. Um, but my work is really centered around really helping San Francisco residents and visitors thrive. Um, you know, in uh, the policy area that we focus on, we really are looking at implementation. So oftentimes we have really strong state policies um, and city policies, but our team really works behind the scenes to make sure those are implemented. And then I also advise the mayor's office to make sure that um, not only are we making sure that city departments are inclusive of the community, but that we're you know, on the forefront of, of where we should be and really being a model for the rest of the country. Um, my work um, started here in San Francisco um, as the economic development director for the LGBT Center for 10 years um, and really working to help people get connected to jobs and housing um, and small business development. And so I think working for the city, I kind of was used to kind of asking for money and now I get to give money, which is always a better better thing to be able to do. Um, and you know, San Francisco has about 2.5 million in, in trans grants that we give every year. So I'm just really excited to be here and thank you. I feel like we've run out of Wikipedia space on buyers, you know, when you put your <laughs> bios up there and you talk about all the things you've done. I mean, uh, I think, it's early, but please, a round of applause for our amazing panelists. Yeah. First question is for Chris. So let's start with that leaked memo and what it actually means. I think for many of us, we're, we're scared, we're afraid. The, the language itself and the headlines that we've read sounds very scary. The Department of Health and Human Services has leaked a memo in which it's trying to spearhead efforts to establish a legalized definition of sex under Title IX. And those efforts, or the proposed definition, would mean that gender would be defined as biological, an immutable condition determined by genitalia at birth. Transgender Law Center has taken on many cases involving gender and sex. From your perspective, Chris, tell us, 
What do you what do you think this all means? Yeah, absolutely. So so to start, I mean, basically what uh, the Trump administration is trying to do is define gender so narrowly that it basically eliminates the existence of transgender people, right? I think what, what is important to know, though, in saying that is that that definition flies in the face of state and city laws and policies, um, including here in San Francisco, including in the state of California, all across the country, right? It also flies in the face of so many court decisions that have made it clear that transgender people are protected from discrimination under Title VII, so from employment discrimination, under Title IX, so that transgender students are protected. And so to break that down um, somewhat, so what we've been able to do as we've advanced the legal rights and protections for transgender people is we've been able to make uh, argument and we have, and the courts have agreed with this, that laws that protect people from discrimination based on sex protect transgender people, right? We've been able to make that argument. And so what Trump is trying to do in that memo is define sex and gender in such a way that it's so narrow that it eliminates us and it pushes back against what so many courts and so many cities and states all across the country have made clear. Honey, as executive director of the Transgender Cultural District in San Francisco, one of the first established districts dedicated to the transgender community, I think, in the entire country, you know, social understanding of, of sex and gender is still an ev evolving education for all of us, for many of us. So we know we will continue to exist throughout whatever wacky attempts the federal government tries to erase. Uh, and tries to erase us from policy and law, but for someone such as yourself, where a lot of your work, it, it you know pushes through all of that, mm -hmm. whether there's something on text or something that's a law or policy, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Just visibility and what you do through arts, through culture, we will exist. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I think it would be great to hear from you. Um, how do we how do we push through all of this and continue to educate people, uh, especially people who don't even know the definition of gender nonconforming or or non-binary and and identities that exist within the LGBTQIA community? You know, I think um, that's a really important question that we should all be asking ourselves. And I think that in some ways um, we do this every day. I mean, I think as people who are trans and gender nonconforming, I think merely walking out the door, right, is uh, is is in many ways um, an educational experience for everyone that you walk by, right? Um, especially for people who are not passing or who you know have less passing privilege. Um, I I think that um, their mere existence and taking up of space. Um, really is um, a form of advocacy um, and I think a very powerful thing. Um, I think that for me where it becomes hard is um, on a more personal level, not sort of educating strangers and having that experience of moving through the world and just being and allowing that to be the statement that you make. But I think the really hard work that needs to happen is those conversations with our families. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I think that those are the conversations that um, are very painful for us um, and you know can be very hurtful. Um, but I, 
you know, almost everyone out there has someone in their family, and this is not just for trans, this is also for, you know, gay and lesbian people, has someone in their family who is gender nonconforming, who is trans, who is queer, and um, I think it's really important to hold family members accountable to whatever extent you're able to, to do that. Um, furthermore, I think that it's really important that we um, own the right to tell our stories um, and are in charge of our own narratives, right? So. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, TV shows that are out there. There are a lot of think pieces that are being done. And in some ways, you know, we do expect our allies to come forward and fight for us um, because, you know, without them, um, uh, it would be exceedingly a lot harder. Um, but I think that it's really important to center uh, trans stories, especially right now, and, and center trans storytellers. You know, I think Pose is a really great example of that. You know, it's a show that has um, broken so many boundaries. Um, I mean, having a trans woman of color as as a producer and writer, hiring a trans, um, predominantly trans pe person of color cast. I mean, it's it's fantastic and it's it's passionate and it's it's real. I mean, I think it tells stories and has conversations that many of us, you know, feel a little bit uncomfortable having with people who are not within the community. And I think that that is the type of work that we need to be doing within our own circles, with our acquaintances and with our families. Can I add something too? I just wanted to say that I think. What Honey's talking about, too, is like this concept of changing culture. I think that we've had visibility, mm -hmm. um, but I think now it's like, how do we push those boundaries even further? Because I think sometimes showing up is enough. Like we're in a San Francisco bubble, right? Um, but outside of that, like how do we actually create change? Um, one recommendation that I heard, and I added it in my editorial that I posted this week was, you know, for cis folks to contact three of your friends and, you know, talk about trans experience, talk about trans people, um, and really thinking about it is like, oftentimes we're the ones doing the work. Um, so how can allies actually really step in and, and be about a part of that conversation? Thank you for the addition, because it's a great segue <laughs> to my question for you, Claire. I mean, you know, we started the, the evening in addressing this leaked memo, and it's scary when you think about you know, the power of the federal government and these people in positions of such leadership. Um, and it's sad that you know, we're here tonight and we put leadership in air quotes today, because... <laughs> no need to explain. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but then to pull back from that lens, right, and then hear uh, what we have as a community, we've always been doing, and how we've won, even the cases that Chris has brought up, is it's a combination of a lot of things. And uh, the combination includes a cultural shift, which we need the cultural shift in order to also then make policy changes. Mm -hmm. And policy ca changes can happen on a local level where you can be protected. And so my question to you, Claire, is talking specifically about San Francisco. So while this administration may try to limit or erase federal protections for transgender Americans, it doesn't mean that local governments have not established their own policies uh, for protections. So share with us how San Francisco, the city, is already a leader in this and uh, tell us how we can be an example for many local governments across the country. Yeah, you know, I think people are really scared, as Chris mentioned, and, you know, I think we're really fortunate to be in San Francisco because, you know, we were the first city to offer uh, transitional health benefits to all city employees. Um, we have really comprehensive policies around public accommodations, which protects 
um, trans and non-binary folks or you know anyone that doesn't meet kind of a stereotypical expression of gender um, in accessing restaurants or bathrooms. Um, we also have um, really worked to not only make sure that San Francisco has good policies, but we actually, part of uh, the work of my office is we track legislation of other states. So um, if they pass legislation that allows for di discrimination against the community, we add them to our travel ban and uh, ban of, of contracting. And oftentimes these contracts are billions of dollars. You know, it's infrastructure, it's, um, you know, self, cell phone towers, et cetera. Um, so there is a huge impact when a state uh, allows to discriminate. If we look at North Carolina, for instance, uh, which uh, passed legislation to, you know, basically require someone to show their birth certificate to use the, the bathroom. So, you know, San Francisco will continue to not only kind of pioneer policy locally, but we will hold other states accountable that think that they can discriminate and then use our taxpayer money. It's just not going to happen. Um, but I do want to say, too, because I think so many folks are afraid, as you know, there's been a lot of conversation around registries and, you know, lots of other thoughts around how we might be um, kind of taking further steps backward. I think the, the Trump administration is using this as a fear tactic. So I think, you know, if we look back at our history, you know, as Honey mentioned of Compton's cafeteria riot, or all the different moments where our community had to show resiliency, it wasn't out of fear. It was us standing up and being a community and really making sure that we support each other, we love each other. Um, and I think that's why events like this are so important and the work that, that everyone's doing is so important that we can't let this fear hold us back. Thank you for that. So Chris, and Claire alluded to this, I mean, we've been talking about it, but we've been here before. We've been, <laughs> we continue to be in spaces in which we're discriminated against, but maybe in a different way. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if the federal government has ever established any legal language discriminating against gender rights or defining sex in this way. It's very specific and narrow, as you had mentioned before. So knowing our history and as it applies to the cases that we have fought and won, um, and, and ones that have eventually led to progress, can this administration make such a dis, uh, decision and disregard the legal cases, and not just the legal cases, but the data, the data from health professionals and, and education and, and so much that's already there that proves our existence? Can they ignore all of that? And if the answer is yes, what is our response uh, in a legal way? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And so, you know, I'll, I'll just start out by saying it, it's pretty clear that Trump thinks he can say and do whatever he wants, right? Um, however, that that doesn't make it a reality, right? Mm -hmm. Trump, on his own, cannot unilaterally change law. He just can't, right? And even if if things go real really poorly tomorrow with the election, which you know, fingers crossed, like. Hopefully, we will be in a better place after tomorrow. Amazing work happening all across the country, right? Um, including here in California and in the Bay Area. Um, even if things go badly tomorrow and there are, are, are attempts to roll back civil rights protections, like 
Trump and Congress, they, they, they cannot on their own change the Constitution, right? So, so there are limits. While Trump may believe that he can do whatever he wants, there are limits to what he can actually do, right? And, you know, it is important that there's a reality that the Supreme Court is also shifting, right? Mm. With Gorsuch, with Kavanaugh, um, we, we are moving into a dangerous place um, as far as the Supreme Court and the law. And so I think that what it's important to, one, also know is that the draft memo that, that Trump dropped that was one attack against our community amongst so many that have happened under this administration, right? One of the first things Trump did was he rolled back Department of Education and Department of Justice guidance to protect transgender students. Mm -hmm. At the Transgender Law Center, we have like a multi-page document we are, where we are keeping track of everything that his administration is doing to roll back our rights and protections and the ways in which our community intersects and is part of so many others, right? We've seen the ways in which he is attacking so many vulnerable communities, from immigrants to trans folks, to women, to people with disabilities, to Muslims, to young people. Like, he is clearly running on such a platform um, of hate mm -hmm. and intolerance. And we have seen the ways in which, you know, even here in the Bay Area, even here in California, um, where we have had so many wins and made so much progress, we've seen the ways in which the hatred and violence against our community and against so many other communities has increased. So one thing that I think is important that we think about a lot at the Transgender Law Center is that, you know, if, if Trump drops that memo tomorrow officially, we absolutely will sue him, along with so many other people. However, as other folks have spoken about, like that is, that is one strategy, and we need to be moving multiple strategies at this moment in order to make sure that we're keeping all of us alive and thriving through this really challenging moment. And so I really think about our elders. I think about folks like Miss Major. Um, I think about folks like Marsha P. Johnson who have come before us and their, their incredible resilience and power and strength and the ways in which we have always, always had to rely on each other and to rely on our communities in order to keep each other safe. And there's ways in which here in California and the Bay Area, it is just real. We have more access to resources. We have more access to infrastructure and services than in other parts of the country. So I also think it's important for us here to think about what are ways that we can keep each other safe here, but also support and resource folks in other parts of the country who have had less access to resources and infrastructure than we have here. Mm -hmm. And I think one example of that, you know, that Chris is talking about is, you know, if you have capacity, you know, volunteer with Trans Lifeline, mm -hmm. you know, their call volume um, tripled uh, after the memo was leaked. So I think that there are ways to get involved, you know, whether it's telling your story or, you know, volunteering. But I do agree that, you know, the work we do here on the ground is important, but how can we get involved in supporting broader work? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it also goes towards acknowledging whatever pri privilege that we actually hold or have and using that for the benefit of our community, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I think every all of us 
face multiple assaults from multiple different um, fronts, and yet all of us also hold a certain level of privilege. Um, you know, speaking for myself, I know that I have been given a platform to, to a certain extent because of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I know that I've been um, lucky enough to be able to access, you know, education. And so using those skills that I have and using that privilege that I've been afforded um, to really fight for my community is, is I think something that really has um, shaped um, the way that I look at the world and the activism that I do. And I think that we can all do that kind of work in our own way. Um, and um, I think also um, just to acknowledge that we are all very heavily impacted by not just what's coming out of the federal government, but what's happening in our everyday lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it's, an acknowledgement of how resilient our community is and how powerful we are, um, that we that we continue to thrive. And I think that it also requires us to take a moment and realize how amazing our community is, mm -hmm. um, how privileged we are to be in the roles that we are, like to be trans people, to, you know, like we, um, Someone posted on Facebook the other day about a really negative experience that they had. They, you know, got sort of catcalled and then sort of um, uh, uh, trans bashed. Um, and, you know, my reaction in that moment was like, obviously, complete sympathy for that person and they were feeling very badly. But what I did was remind them, like, just think how sad those people's lives are because their minds are so closed. Um, because they, um, they aren't able to experience or appreciate the diversity that we are able to experience and appreciate and live so fully. Um, just remembering how lucky we are to be able to live those lives and to be that light for the world. And if, if I could just add one yeah, thing on yeah. this point too. Um, I, I also think that it's, you know, when the, the memo dropped, I think for, for many trans folks and gender non-conforming folks all across the mm -hmm. country, it was definitely um, very scary and in a lot of ways a wake-up call. And I just think it's also important to really ground in that for some members of our community, for trans immigrants, mm -hmm. for black and brown trans folks, that that those attacks had been happening and have been happening. Um, you know, we've, we always talk about the high rates of murder that our communities face, and it's the majority are black trans women. Mm -hmm. So I also think it's important to just hold that for particular members of our community who are most vulnerable and targeted, that the fear um, that we all felt when that memo dropped was on top of so much um, violence and harassment and fear that folks were already holding. And so I also think about being here in the Bay Area, the organizations that we have that are really holding um, some of the most vulnerable and targeted communities. So I think of Ella Power Trans Latina out of the mission. I think about TGIJP, Transgender Intersex Justice Project, working with primarily black trans women who are incarcerated. And I also think it's important for us in the Bay and in, here in California to think about how we can in addition to supporting folks in other regions, but also look here at who are the groups who are working with and supporting the leadership of some of the most vulnerable and targeted. And I know all those groups are needing all the resources they can get, particularly in this moment. Mm -hmm. I, I do have to admit, I feel two feet taller just you know, sitting, listening to the amount of courage that, it, that everyone has. And then I also, I don't know about you, but uh, I love it when Chris Hayashi says, we're going to sue him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. <laughs> um, honey, 
Lots of people are saying that we would not be in this mess if Donald Trump did not get elected. I mean, after all, he's the one who put someone like Roger Severino, an anti-LGBTQ devout Christian, as head of the Civil Rights Department for the Health and Human Services, put that this guy in a position of power. Um, I'm, it's a conundrum. How do you put an anti-anyone in a position to defend rights for, for people? So as a pillar in our community, a cultural icon who not only is visible, but is also vocal and politically involved, and you've been very vocal about your political activity, do you believe we need to be politically engaged? And we already know the answer to that, but I mean, but how so? I, I, you know, and we're, we're here before uh, election day tomorrow. We keep talking about you know, taking our country back or the, the results that we're hopeful for. It's not a big presidential election, as most voters will turn out for. It's a midterm election. What does it actually mean, for, coming from someone like you, who's here in San Francisco, progressive California, but if people are tuning in or people are watching this from a different state, what are we looking for for tomorrow? I think absolutely everyone, need, it's all hands on deck right now. Um, and I don't think, you know, there is no um, re rest for the wicked, but there's also no rest for the weary. Um, e even as heavily impacted as we are, as I said before, we need to keep at it. We can't let up. Um, you know, after November 6th, I know that I'm planning on taking a mental health day. Um, but after that, no matter the results, I'm going to keep fighting. And, and it's all these little steps, right? Um, every little battle matters. Um, and, and, you know, it's been said time and again that there's this arc of justice and that it's not straight, that it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. All of that is true. Um, but what's even more true is that we can't stop and we can't take anything for granted. I think that there are very concrete ways in which people can continue to move us forward. That means um, taking a little bit of your time, whether it be on a weekly basis, whether it be on a daily basis, to really not just post on Facebook, not just get in these online arguments, but put your money where your mouth is. If you are privileged enough to be working a full-time job and have a salary and be able to afford to live in San Francisco, maybe consider donating a little bit of money to political act action organizations that need your support. And that can be locally. It can also be um, across the country, right? Um, and we're seeing that that money makes a difference. We know that in elections, money makes a huge difference difference. So if you can, please consider donating. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that I do is I'm co-president of the Harvey Milk Democratic Club. Um, any Democratic club that you're interested in joining that you believe in their values, please become a member. Um, get involved, know about the issues and how they're, they're going to affect you because um, this is a democracy and we all have a voice and we all have the power to create change. So um, again, I urge you just to get involved with your local democratic clubs. If you can't commit to um, being on the executive board and being treasurer or something like that, at least go and participate and help canvas. Um, right now, you know, we have um, a very hotly contested um, a school, school board race um, and you know, our school board candidates that we do wanna see in the race, they need, they need our support to get the word out so people know who to vote for, you know? Um, and, and yeah, so I guess just get involved, um, because if not you, then who, right? So. And just to add to that, because uh, I know, you know you've been also very vocal about issues specifically, or locally, right here in San Francisco, but just to kind of give us brief, what are your wishes? What are we looking for as members of the transgender community, LGBTQ community, even uh, you know what it means for us specifically when we take back this country from an administration that 
has been very dangerous to us. And, and just give us examples, like how we can continue to resist and be resilient regardless of whatever attempts they're, they're trying to make from a, a legalized definition of gender and sex. Yeah, I'm gonna actually answer the first part of your question um, about the dream, what is my dream? Actually, my dream is that um, the trans community, and well, first of all, we will destroy the binary, right? Mm -hmm. There will no longer be a binary. <laughs> um, and that transgender individuals will hold a role in society um, and non-gender uh, non conforming individuals will hold, uh, um, be appreciated and, um, um, and just uh, integrated into society in a way that does not force them to conform mm -hmm. um, and that celebrates that diversity because, you know, I, like for me, I think growing up in San Francisco, and I know that that also, again, is a privilege. I feel like I've been using that word a lot today, but, um, but I think it's appropriate. Um, because I grew up um, in a city where diversity was valued, and at a time, I think, also, where diversity was really valued, and, and, and there were all these diversity initiatives that were, that were happening and taking place, we need to really think about that when it comes to gender, and why it's so important to have that kind of diversity and to celebrate that, and how powerful that can be. There was another part to your question. I don't know if I answered all of it. Well, I mean, as I was talking about just, uh, we're all, we keep mentioning take our country back. And right. we, I think for a lot of us, we're not even just talking about our local politics, but we're paying attention finally to even mm -hmm. politics in other uh, states. I think gen in general, we would like to see, you know, the, the house flip. We would like to see, uh, let's just put it out there, more blue mm -hmm. in the Senate. We, what is that? I think that that all means something. I think that that strips a little bit of power away from, you know, the president and who he puts into power. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we definitely all have to go out and vote Democrat because we know that the Republican Party is not going to hold the president accountable. We know that if we continue to allow Republicans to take control and to be in power, that the Supreme Court is just going to get more and more conservative and undo a lot of the work that we have done over the last, you know, 50 years. Um, and also, we have to remember that Democrats, as great as we are, um, have not always been the friends of our community and also need to be held accountable. Um, so I think, again, once I believe, I'm going to put it out in the universe, once this blue wave happens and we get Democrats in office, we need to hold those Democrats accountable. And that means, um, show again, getting politically involved, showing up to public halls, writing letters, getting on the phone. We don't have the luxury anymore of just sitting back and doing nothing. We must act. And so I think it's a call for all of us to step up to the plate, even as we are functioning at our capacity or overcapacity for some of us, and do more. Well, I think one thing, too, I wanted to add is that I don't even remember the number, but there's the huge percentage of LGBT folks running for public office, um, which I think is amazing. You know, we saw during the last election, um, I think it was like over seven or eight trans people who were elected in public office. So I think that there's plenty of opportunity for folks to get civically engaged here locally, whether it's joining our trans advisory council through, um, through the mayor's office, joining a commission. Um, we still have yet to have a trans person be elected um, um, into public office in San Francisco, which, you know, I think that's a surprising. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's so much more to do locally, but I agree, like, if we are able to make the shift 
more um, nationally, I think we'll also look at things like, could we have a, a federal protection, uh, which, you know, and it's uh, been something that we've all been fighting for for a long time. Um, so there's no reason why there shouldn't be protections, um, you know, even outside of Title VII that are clear and distinct um, and that, you know, doesn't allow for anyone to discriminate, regardless of whether it's a cake shop or all these other excuses we hear. Um, so I think policy is one thing. And then I think the accountability piece that Honey mentioned is really important. You know, we are constituents. We are voters. So we need to make sure to remind the people who are in office uh, of the work, but we also have to have a seat at the table. So we need more of us in city government. We need more of us at the table so that we can show up as our full authentic selves and not have to mask who we are. Um, and I can tell you most of the time when I'm in these city spaces, I'm primarily with cis white men. And none of them or most of them haven't worked with someone as young as me who's trans. Um, they aren't used to a woman director. Um, and so I think we can't let those moments create self-doubt in ourselves because we're all going to be in places where um, we have to challenge that. And so I would just encourage us to continue to push those boundaries and recognize that their problem isn't us. You know, we have to continue to show up authentic and just get the work done. Both of what you said is a great segue to my last question before we open it up to our audience for questions. After all, in the title, uh, it says it's a community discussion. Where do we go from here? So we are looking to you for these questions and comments. And so you've got these cards uh, on your seat. And if you could write your questions there for our panelists, John will come and collect them. He's going to ask the question. So. The last question before we go to Q&A uh, really has a lot to do with accountability. And thank you, Claire, for mentioning um, ENDA, or a very inclusive bill for federal protections for all of us in the LGBTQ community. We've been working on it for a really long time. And, and my personal opinion in studying you know, the efforts to do so is seeing that even some of our democratic leaders or progressive leaders drop the ball when it comes to taking the risk, taking, or, or well, I'm going to say it's in their mind, it's a risk and whatever that means, money in their pockets or um, losing their constituents or whatnot, but not having the, the courage to really go there and stick up for a bill like this. So the last question is about elected officials, leaders, people in our community, people in our movement and our fight who have stood on campaigns that say they're for transgender rights, um, but when we get to even a, a, uh, an issue like access to bathrooms, we, we see that it becomes extremely controversial and all of a sudden the narrative has been stolen. The argument's now focused on something where our leaders get trapped and they don't know how to get out of it and then we lose that kind of support. We'll start with Claire, because I think that we have some very clear elected officials and leaders who have stood mm -hmm. on a platform to talk about mm -hmm. their absolute support for the transgender community. How do we, how do we actually hold them accountable? Mm -hmm. How do we actually get them to cross that line and take the risk 
to really supportive or support us and fight for what we need. Yeah, I think we have to really start looking at the actions, right? So I think trust building, collaboration, community efforts is really about doing the work day in and day out. It can't just be lip service. It can't just be, you know, talking points. Um, And so, you know, I think one example you gave was the bathroom piece is that we have so much great policy, but how is it being implemented? So this last week um, with my team, you know, we went and scouted all city buildings or not all, but uh, a percentage and really looked at how is the all gender bathroom bill being implemented, um, which passed two years ago. Um, and then through that surveying, we're able to work with the real estate department. We're able to work with the board of supervisors to say, here's the modifications that n- still need to happen and make sure that public accommodations are safe mm-hmm. because either a, the signage isn't being changed or it's only happening with new construction. So I think it takes that kind of A to Z perspective of like, okay, well, if you just take someone at their word and we don't actually walk it through and see, okay, let's go look at the physical space. Let's go look at what actually the campaign dollars is going towards. Let's see what new initiatives and programs they're moving forward. So I think we have to hold the accountability piece around if we're going to be taxpayers, where's that money going? How's it being used? Um, and you know, I think if we look at collective around, you know, by local and these other initiatives, I think there's lots of inspiration that we can be be used around, let's be smart around where we're putting our resources and make sure that if we need trans housing in the city, that we ask for it. It's the one program that we haven't seen, it's the one thing that still isn't in San Francisco, and so we're working on initiative to make sure that we have housing for our community, because if we don't have housing, then you know it makes it really difficult to have a job. It makes it really difficult to pursue any of your goals. So, you know, hold me accountable. I know where the mayor's office is. <laughs> <Come to me. laughs> Chris, yeah, um, I'll just add something on a, on a little bit of a different tip, which is uh, how many folks know about the anti-trans ballot initiative in Massachusetts? Oh, that's good, like half the room. So, so I just wanted to, to raise that up. Um, you know, folks know that, may know there have been attempts over the last couple years um, in different states, including here in California, actually, to put anti-trans ballot initiatives to a public vote, right? And we have, for the most part, been successful in stopping that. Um, however, in Massachusetts uh, tomorrow, uh, really for the first time ever, um, our, our rights are going to be able be put to a public vote. And so, so this is really important because we know, and we can look back to what happened with the gay marriage struggle and movement, we know that if they are successful in passing an anti-trans ballot initiative in Massachusetts, that we will see this all over the country, right? And this is on top of mm-hmm. all of the attacks we are already facing. So just a plug, if you know people in Massachusetts, the vote is a yes vote, yes on three. If you are on Facebook, social media in any way, please push that out. There's still you know, a good 24 hours um, for people to make the right vote. And it is, it is bigger just than just Massachusetts. It's really about all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same question. 
Same question. How do we hold them accountable? Yes. I, I, you know, I didn't say any names, but there have been lots of people in our, our what we call our community, but uh, I think the, our political um, community in which I th- we've, we've dropped the ball. And uh, yeah. not, not to mention, but I mean, it, it, this, this administration, this president trying to roll back, there, were one, there was once upon a time in which we had people on our side who were leaders and could, didn't pass federal protections or extended it to the point where um, rolling back is, is, is impossible. So how do we hold everybody accountable in this way? I mean, I think in, in some ways, many people are really being held um, accountable in the Democratic Party. We are definitely seeing people rejecting this idea of corporate Democrats and going for more grassroots um, organizing, people who are organizing from the grassroots and not taking um, big money. I think voting people out of office is the way that we hold pub- publicly elected officials accountable. Um, out organizing people is the way that we hold public um, officials accountable. Um, and also, raising money and putting money behind candidates that we believe in. So, um, you know, again, it just really all goes back to getting involved. And um, and uh, I think one really great way of, you know, our community is so great at actually doing this work. Um, we've done it for a very long time. We know how to do it. We know how to be loud. We know how to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are plenty on a local, I mean, come on, we do. Mm-hmm. So on a local level, we we know we can show up to city hall like if you're mad at someone at city hall show up to city hall and stage a protest show up to call um, me first (laughs) (laughs) um and claire is a great ally to have in in doing in doing all of that work um or you know you can always show up to if something's happening at the board of supervisors that you don't agree with you are more than welcome to go and give public comment you're more than welcome to write an um an op-ed piece Mm -hmm. i mean there are so many different ways in which we can hold people accountable um but i think the the important thing is again doing something i think one just quick thing too i wanted to say i've been hearing from a lot of folks that have felt like allies were not super responsive around this definition of gender uh leaked memo and so i think that's just an opportunity you know stepping outside of politics is like you know, if you are an ally and this does happen or we continue to see attacks on community, like reach out to your friends and family. Like it's great to get a text. It's great to get a call. It's, you know, just how are you? Um, You know, and as Chris mentioned, there's been attacks happening um, across our, you know, intersecting communities. So don't just do it for your your trans community, but across the board. so yeah, I just wanted to say that it's like let's take care of each other, and 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 going back a little bit. Sorry to keep butt- butting in, but going back to what um, Claire was saying earlier, it's like we need to get more trans people elected into public office. I mean, here locally in San Francisco, I'm really proud to say that the San Francisco Democratic Party, after this all went down with the Trump administration, released um, a statement really reaffirming um, standing with the transgender community. And I think part of the reason that that happened, I mean, yes, of course, um, the Democratic Party is very progressive right now under the, under the leadership of David Campos and has many um, LGB members, but I do think that because I was a member of that board, that that allowed mm-hmm. that you know statement to be released and passed. And I think similarly, as we have more people in positions of power in our local governments, in our federal governments, that allows us to really take center stage and have policies that will protect us and also people working actively to prevent policies that would hurt us. Well, we know one answer to the question, what do we do next? Where do we go from here? We need more uh, trans elected officials. Now we'll turn to John who has questions. We 
We have quite a few questions from our audience, both in the room and the people watching our live stream. I want to go to one that was submitted by a Facebook viewer. What are the precautions a trans woman of color can take to be safe uh, while still being visible these days? Well, we'll have one of you answer if that's okay, just sure. so that we can roll in through the, the questions. Um, it's really interesting um, f for me. I mean, A, I will, I will say just trust your instincts. Um, trust your instincts and believe in yourself and, um, and, and know your limits and, and where you feel comfortable and safe. But honestly, there is, um, in some ways, this is a dark answer, but there is no like right or safe space, like safe way to move through the world that isn't, um, that is gonna protect us, right? I mean, we know this sp specifically with the black community, you can be educated, you can be, you know, a stand-up citizen, you can be, you know, a saint, and you can still get shot by police. So like, mm -hmm. there's all these different ways in which we try and be perfect and, and reduce, um, quote unquote, reduce our risk of, of, of coming to harm. But the fact is that we live in a very racist society and a very, um, uh, uh, um, uh, anti-woman society and a very transphobic society and so in some ways I wish I had a better answer to say you know you know like these are the exact ways in which you keep yourself safe but I think the way that we're gonna keep um, our um, trans black sisters safe is to change the culture um, that we live in okay I have a question I think uh, probably for Chris can the administration invalidate a request to update federal ID documents or invalidate existing docs that show a different gender than was assigned at birth? Um, I mean, I, I think that I would probably need to know a little bit more about the specifics of the situation. And um, I also forgot to preface this by saying that I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I, I, I work with a lot of lawyers, but I personally myself am not a lawyer. Um, so, I, I would encourage that person to actually just reach out to TLC. We have a helpline. Um, just go to our website and um, submit uh, the, the specifics of that question. And we have a whole um, team, actually, of pro bono lawyers who can help out. So, Okay. Yeah. Uh, for any of you, what should Bay Area corporations do? What would you like to see them do? What would be the most effective thing for them to do right now? Well, I think, you know, obviously we saw kind of the letter of support that came out from tech and a lot of, you know, larger national employers. I think one thing that they can do is they can, you know, like the lobby in Massachusetts piece, you know, we know the companies that could potentially lose business with the Bay Area, if they're headquartered in that state, then that means that they won't actually be able to work with the city anymore. And so I think that definitely needs to be, you know, more lobbying from, um, you know, these companies to say, okay, we do not allow for this to move forward. I think the other thing, too, is really making sure that um, we're hiring trans people. Um, you know, again, a lot of the work that I did was helping employers create more inclusive workplace cultures. But, you know, if we look at the economic divide that's currently in San Francisco, it's oftentimes, you know, we're helping people try to get out of poverty. And so in order to do that, we need to make sure people have access to training programs, internships, volunteership. Um, and so the excuse of that you can't find trans people, like in the Bay Area, you know, I can't tell you how many times you hear that. Um, is like you have to get out there and attend hiring events and really do the work um, and be clear on your website that you celebrate the community. Be vocal. Don't just do it for like a quick, you know, marketing ploy. Do it 
and do it right. This is a question I know Michelle loves to ask. How do you identify situations where it is worth it to publicly break with elected officials who aren't living up to our standards? They might be with you on so many other things, but on right now on trans rights, they're not stepping up. To, so how do you make that calculation or, or what should you do on it? Well, I do think politics, unfortunately, is not straightforward. I think that, you know, you do have to sometimes work with politicians you don't always like. But I think that there are certain lines that need to be drawn. And I think that, um, you know, supporting um, a politician who supports other candidates that have a proven record of being, you know, transphobic or homophobic or racist or any of these things, I think is a line that we should um, not allow any politician to cross. And if that politician does cross that line, I think that, you know, it's time for them to go. Um, and so we need to, yeah, again, continue holding these people accountable. But I think that there is a very clear line um, where, you know, you can no longer continue to support a candidate. What skill sets or experience can a young trans person cultivate to be of greatest service to our community, both immediately and looking forward to the future? Well, I think being yourself is probably the best skill set. And... Um, you know, learning from the people around you, you know, whether it's Honey or Janet Mock or, you know, other people that you see in the world that you can feel inspired by. Um, you know, I, I know something from my own kind of accomplishment as being a queer kid in Montana. I was like, one day I want to move to San Francisco and make sure that there's more housing for LGBT people. Um, and, you know, now I'm kind of doing that to a certain degree, uh, or it's still a goal. Um, so I think setting a goal and, you know, whether it feels too big or impossible, um, I think that that can really help continue to push you forward. And if I can also just add around that, I, I will say that there are so many trans young people all across the country who are leading the fight for our communities, for our rights and justice. And there are amazing organizations like the GSA Network, which is a national organization, but based here. We actually have a partnership with them for a project called Truth, which is led by trans and gender nonconforming young people all over the country. So I would also say to connect into the, the very large um, network of trans youth leaders um, who are fighting back right now. A couple questions about how these laws affect, or these proposed rules changes, would affect immigrants. And so I, trans immigrants, what support are they, do they have? Are they getting the networking connections that uh, maybe you know, people born here or naturalized citizens would get being plugged into some of your organizations? Yeah, I mean, I can just speak to the first question. So in San Francisco, we have something called the City ID Program. So anyone can get a free ID um, that matches their their chosen name and identity, um, which I think is a great resource for immigrants. Also, there's been a lot of advocacy to increase uh, legal services for immigrants. Um, I think that there's more work to be done around kind of internships and professional development, um, specifically when seeking asylum. It can kind of, you know, take some time to qualify for a work visa. Um, so we're looking at rolling out an LGBT professional development program for immigrants. Um, we're piloting it in January. And then I think the other piece is, you know, there's amazing 
um, trans, Latina, Latino run organizations. So getting plugged in um, and getting resourced um, as well as there's national organizations that are working with folks who are looking for asylum. Um, there's groups in Canada as well as in California that are doing some really amazing work. And, and if I could just add very quickly around that, um, you know, I, I will say that, you know, we, we have seen under the Trump administration, and we knew that this was going to happen, that there would be an all-out assault on immigrants, right? And we mm -hmm. have seen that in so many different ways. And we know that trans immigrants are particularly vulnerable in that assault and in those attacks. And while, while there are, are some amount of resources available for trans immigrants, it is very, very limited. Mm -hmm. um, and it is an area where we just need uh, so much more resource capacity and support. We need more lawyers, immigration lawyers, who know how and are willing to work with trans immigrants. Um, it, it is a very critical situation um, and one that I think also just needs, needs more visibility um, within our community um, as a, a priority issue. We're getting very short on time, but uh, maybe just a couple more quickly. Uh, if the Democrats do take the House of Representatives tomorrow, they, of course, still won't be able to necessarily pass something because that would have to get through the Senate and President Trump would have to sign it. But uh, if they did take the House tomorrow, what would you like to see them do first it, it, with regard to uh, transgender rights? What, is there like one thing you'd love to see work its way into a headline that uh, new speaker Nancy Pelosi has said, done, set up, started with regard to this? Any wish list? Is there a wish list? Um I mean, I think, I think, I don't know if there's necessarily a wish list. I think that actually legislation can get passed, though. I mean, because we are, you know, the Senate, we really only need to pick up one or two seats um, in order to um, make a difference. Um, I, I, I think just taking a stance or having them take a stance like the San Francisco Democratic Party did, that we are not going to tolerate any form of discrimination and we're not going to pass any legislation that takes rights away from people. I think that would be a dream for me until Trump gets out of office um, and until we have a majority in both the House and the Senate. Um, I think even just knowing that they would be able to halt the attacks mm -hmm. um, and, and not pass any more negative legislation would be a huge sigh of relief. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think there's such a long list that it's really hard. Yeah. But, and, you know, if we look at Canada's example, I mean, I think potentially looking at some of the components around hate speech and, you know, I think, you know, not necessarily criminalizing it, but really holding people more accountable because I think the racism, um, the xenophobia, all these pieces are at such extremes right now that we need to actually kind of shift and look at how do we hold people accountable that think that's okay. Um, so, you know, I think that would be one piece that I would look at is like, how do we actually start making sure that people are aware that the words that they say and the things they write online matter. Can we also just get rid of Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas at the same time? Like, just get rid of them. I don't know. I think there's something in Wikipedia about being able to impeach. A Supreme Court judge? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Yes. Uh, one last question. One, one last question. Okay, one last question, and we'll turn it back to Michelle. Uh, someone asks about, besides who you're voting for in, for San Francisco uh, School Board, what are the... Uh, plans for improving school climates for trans and non-binary children? 
Yeah, well, I live in Alameda, so I'm not voting uh, for San Francisco School Board. Um, but I think what we are doing, I've been working really closely with the GSA network, um, as well as the local LGBT program um, that's through um, SF Unified to assure that there's training um, across the schools to make sure that parents of gender nonconforming youth and trans youth feel supported. Um, recently worked with the family to make sure that the principal and the bathroom was accessible. Um, so we're looking at making sure that the, that's implemented across all, all schools as well, that there's um, uh, all gender restrooms. But I do think one thing that we need to continue to work on, you know, even in the Bay Area, since I think our young people are our future, is how are we getting involved in kind of sharing stories um, and making sure that we're addressing, you know, both LGBT education and health classes, which, you know, pass statewide um, and it has been kind of slow to roll out. And then also how are we addressing the bullying and the violence? Because we're still seeing a lot of young folks who, um, you know, are depressed and, and suicidal. So what are we doing to actually make sure that we're supporting and giving those youth and family as much support as we can? Um, and I think it does start at the home, but I think that the schools also need to be responsible as well. Well, we are right at 7.30 at the end, but I didn't want to end the program without at least giving our panelists a, a few seconds to to wrap up and give us some message of hope, especially for those who are not in San Francisco. Through this talk, we're able to gather that San Francisco has a lot of resources and that we should be reaching out across, whether that's the bridge or to the other side of the state, we need to be reaching out to those who are even more vulnerable. So in 30 seconds, <laughs> if you can give us messages or, or, or words of, of hope for, for our community, in this country who might not be living in San Francisco? Um, I'm just going to go back to what I said a little bit earlier, which is that we have so much power as a community and we are so special and wonderful and we need to remember that and continue to celebrate that. Um, our, you know, this current history of transphobia and exclusion is very recent. You know, throughout the centuries, different cultures have really celebrated us and just remembering that, remembering that we come from a very long legacy of greatness um, and that we can carry that forward and make that happen again. Yeah, um, I'll just add to that. I mean, I just think, you know, we, we have always existed. Like, Trump can say whatever he wants. Um, and and I'll, I'll just close with actually quoting uh, Issa Noyola, who is uh, Deputy Director at the Transgender Law Center. And um, she says, you know, this, this administration is running on fear. And the way to fight fear is through hope. And the way to build hope is through building community. Mm. I would ditto all of that. <laughs> and I would just say love each other, support each other. You know, I think just continue to um, remind each other of the great things that we see in each other. Um, and when you have a hard day, don't give up. You know, like this is, you know, there is a better, a better tomorrow. Well, let's give a round of applause to all of our panelists. And I, I'm just going to actually end with what Chris said. 
and if Donald Trump is watching, because I'm sure he is, um, <laughs> we're going to sue you. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight at the Commonwealth Club. Please support the organizations from the folks who are here today and what you've heard. Uh, Chris from Transgender Law Center, Honey Mahogany, and Compton's Transgender Cultural District, and Claire from the Office of Transgender Initiatives. I know, yes. I know all this, but you know we're really good at naming ourselves, and so do the best you can. Love one another. Thank you. And thank you, Michelle. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>